0: Now, God comes along, and he's going to talk about the Sabbaths now. Now, we've learned about the weekly Sabbath. I'm not going to talk about that again. But the weekly Sabbath, remember, the whole point of a Sabbath is this. The definition of the Sabbath is to cease from whatever you're doing so that you may rest in Yahweh and worship him. So cease from whatever you're doing. If working on the farm gets in the way of you truly resting in God and worshiping him, then cease from it. If playing video games all the time gets in the way of you resting in God and worshiping him, then you cease from that. If working in the garden helps you rest in God and worship him, then go work in the garden. That true Sabbath is remembering God so that you will find rest. So cease from doing anything that keeps you from remembering God and resting in him. That's what the Sabbath is. And it looks different corporately, and it looks different individualistically. So the weekly Sabbath happens every seventh day of the week, which is Saturday, is the weekly Sabbath. He will go on and mention three other Sabbaths. He's going to talk about the high Sabbaths, which are seven festivals throughout the year, and then the sabbatical year, which happens every seven years. And the year of Jubilee, which happens every 50 years. So there's actually four Sabbaths that God talks about, not just the weekly. The first one that Leviticus goes through is the high Sabbath. There are seven festivals, holidays, that they were to celebrate every single year. The first festival is in chapter 23, verse 4. And it is the Passover. Now, the Passover and the eleven bread are mentioned together because they overlapped. But this is the basically works. Passover. We've already talked about Passover in the book of Exodus. But Passover is celebrated on the 14th of Nisan. Nisan was the seventh month in their Jewish calendar. So that would be like July for us. So on the 14th of Nisan, they would sacrifice a lamb. Now, this lamb would be like a purification offering. They would go into the, holy, the, the tabernacle courtyard area. They would bring an unblemished lamb in. They would lean on of it, transfer its sins. They would slice its throat, drain out the blood. The difference is that they would bring the whole thing back, only on this festival. They would bring the whole animal back, and they would take the blood of the lamb and paint it on their doorpost every single year. We don't know exactly what this looked like when they were in the wilderness with tents. Um, but every single year, they would paint the blood on the doorposts, and they would then take the lamb in their house, and they would eat it together as a family. And the first night that they ever did it, back in Exodus chapter 12 and 13 and 14, was to allow God's wrath to pass over their firstborn son so that they could live. Therefore, the firstborn son belonged to God as a priest, and every family had access to God. Now they're not escaping Egypt. So every year they would sacrifice a lamb in order to remember how God had delivered them from Egypt and rescued their firstborn son and their family. And so the Passover was celebrated on the 14th of the ninth month every year as a celebration of that remembered God's faithful deliverance of them from their life of slavery into their life with God. That's the whole point of the Passover. Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was to be celebrated the day after Passover. so on the 15th of Nisan. Now remember, the 14th happens on a different day of the week every single year. So one year the 14th could be on the Monday, the next Tuesday, next Wednesday, whatever. So that was always changing. Less was unleavened. Um, so unleavened was celebrated the day after Passover, and it lasted for seven days. Okay, seven days they would do celebrate the unleavened bread. The leaven bread was they would bake. They would do two things. They would go through their house and they would clean out all yeast, every nook and cranny, every corner underneath your dishwasher, your oven, or they didn't have those. Basically, your children. <laughs> because that's your dish washer and your ovens, you would get rid of every single form of yeast, and you were not allowed to bake any bread with yeast during that time. Yeast symbolically represented corruption. Now you would say, wow, it takes them a whole week to get rid of yeast in their house? Well, not necessarily, but kind of yes. Remember in the ancient world, they baked bread all the time. So they're grinding grain Baking bread, throwing yeast in and flour. And by the time they get done with all the baking, they have to start all over again and go right into dinner. And they, have, they live in caves. They live on dirt floors. They live in tents. It's not really beneficial to constantly clean the yeast all the time when the yeast is just mixing with dirt and you're just going to always be using yeast and baking bread. So but this week you're not baking with yeast. So it's actually worth it to clean it all out. So the whole point is that you're removing all yeast from your life. This is supposed to be a physical action that would help you intentionally repent of your sins. And so as you're cleaning house, this would be like our spring cleaning. As you're cleaning your house and doing your yearly dusting and going through your closets and asking each other, when's the last time you wore this, and throwing it out, whatever you do, you would be reminding yourself that as I'm removing the dust, that's like sin in my life that I should be confessing and removing as I'm getting rid of my clothes from the 1970s that I haven't worn since then. That reminds me of getting rid of old bad things. And so you're removing all these things in your house and your cleaning, which should help you actually make the intentional effort to repent. And basically what it is, it's a week of confessing your sins and eliminate all that sin in your life so that you can be right with God. And that's the week of unleavened bread. It lasts seven days, completion. The third festival is First Fruits. First Fruits is to celebrate, according to the Bible, the day after the Saturday, or the day after the Sabbath after the Passover. So basically it's the Sunday after Passover. So Sunday after Passover is First Fruits. Now notice that if you've got Passover on the 14th, and you've got unleavened bread starting on the 15th, then if this is on a, the 14th is on like a Tuesday, then the first fruits is going to happen on that Sunday. So unleavened bread is going to go into first fruits too. If you're celebrating Passover and unleavened, and it happens to fall on a Monday and a Tuesday one year, then first fruits is going to be at the very end of unleavened, at the very end. If Passover and First and Unleaven just happens to be like on a Thursday and a Friday, then First Fruits is going to be at the very beginning of Leaven. Does that make sense? So first fruits is going to be in a different place of unleaven every single year. And no matter what, first fruits is going to be in unleavened. So in some way, these three festivals all kind of became one festival in Israel after as the years went by. Because It's very easy to get all your animals sacrificed when you're a small nation in the wilderness. By the time we're living in the time period of Christ, there are millions of Jews in Israel. And you can't be sacrificing every single Jewish family's lamb all in the same day. So a lot of times they would sign different tribes to different days. Which means that the Passover was almost the entire week of unleavened. And it's very possible, depending on where First Fruits was, you could be celebrating first fruit at the same time that your family's turn was to go to the tabernacle or the temple and do their, their their lamb sacrifice. Does that make sense? And so technically these are three different festivals, but first fruits is always going to be happening somewhere in 11. And when the numbers increase, they're just going to be doing all three of these together. So, But don't let the Second Testament practice of these festivals confuse you from realizing they're still very distinct festivals with very distinct points. And so first fruits is, this would be the time of their, um, their barley. I knew it was barley. This is the time of the barley harvest. So their barley is ready to be harvested, and they are to take the first fruits, the first crops of their barley, and they are to offer them up to God. And they would go into the tabernacle, and they would burn their first fruit grains on the altar as an offering God. This festival symbolically celebrated two different things. One, it specifically and foremost celebrated God giving them the land of Canaan, the promised land. In fact, for the first 40 years of Israel's history, they will not do first fruits because they have no land and no crops. Joshua, when he brings them into the land of um, Israel they're going to celebrate Passover and then do first fruits for the first time ever because now they have a land. And so first fruits is you take the first of your barley and it was your way of saying, thank you, God, that I have crops because you gave me this land. And it was a celebration of entering into the land of God. The second thing that it celebrated is that it was a thank you and a trust offering to God. Because you were thanking God that the only reason I have crops is because he provided them for you. And you're trusting him that by the fact that you're burning some of your crops, you're still going to be able to take care of your family and feed them. Does that make sense? Then, the fourth festival was Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks was to be celebrated 50 days after the Passover. So this one went into the next month. So 50 days later, so remember all these first three are happening pretty much within one week. But 50 days later, you would celebrate Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks was where you offered up the first fruits of your wheat harvest. And just like the first fruit celebration, it was a thank you and trust offering to God. But first and foremost, it was a celebrated the giving of God's law. Because remember... Passover was when they left Egypt that night. It took them 50 days to get to Mount Sinai. And when they got to Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. So every year, they're to remember God's deliverance of them from Egypt through the Passover. And then 50 days later, on the day that God gave them the law, they're to celebrate the fact that God gave them a law a covenant where they could have a relationship with Him. And then 40 years later, they were also celebrating first fruits to celebrate that God gave them the land. So basically, these three festivals put together, Passover celebrate God's deliverance, first fruits celebrated God giving you the land, and Feast of Week celebrated God giving you a covenant where you could have a relationship with Him, which should all lead you to a deep sense of repentance on leavened bread with God. Does that make sense? So three of them celebrated what God had given you, which leads you to the fourth one, which lasts for an entire week, of that I should respond to this with a deep sense of repentance and appreciation and making my life right with God. And that these four festivals intentionally helped you take the time to truly appreciate what God had given you and done for you and celebrating Him so that you could rest in this God that is so powerful that He was able to give you these things and so loving that He actually did it for you. And if you are truly celebrating it, knowing and remembering and honoring God for what He's done, that should give you a credible sense of rest and allow you to trust in Him that he'll give you whatever other things he's promised you. Because if he saves you from slavery, gives you a land and gives you a covenant relationship, everything else is easy. Everything else is easy. Does that make sense? Now we get to the fulfillment. These festivals foreshadow the first coming of Jesus Christ. There are seven festivals altogether. The first four are spring festivals and they foreshadow the first coming of Jesus Christ. The second set of three are fall festivals and they celebrate the second coming of Jesus Christ. So here's how it works. A couple thousand years after they left Egypt on the Passover, does anybody know what day Jesus died on the cross? The 14th of Nisan. Why did he die on the cross on the 14th of Nisan? That was the Passover. The exact day that God delivered them from Egypt and the exact day for a couple thousand years that they celebrated that was the exact day that Jesus died on the cross. The 14th of Nisan Christ, now you're like, wait a minute, but didn't the Gospels say that they did the Passover, that Jesus and the disciples got together and they celebrated the Passover meal? And then the next day he died, right? Well, yeah, that's why the disciples are confused. (laughs) Because Jesus says, go get everything ready for the Passover meal. And they're probably thinking, the Passover starts tomorrow. And likewise, I already told you it was not uncommon for them to do Passover on not the actual Passover day because there's too many people to do it. What's interesting is that Christ comes along in the Passover and the night before the actual real Passover, he's doing with his disciples. But there's no lamb. Not once does the text ever mention that there's a lamb there on the table. And in fact, they never even eat the meal. Christ does the four cups that you do before you eat the lamb. Actually, he only does three. You're supposed to do four cups and then eat the lamb. He does three cups and then says, okay, let's go. And they leave. And they're probably wondering the entire time. Remember, if you read John chapter 14 through 17, they're really confused. They're always like, what are you talking about, Christ? What are you talking about? And Peter's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to. And Jesus is like, oh, yes, I am. And so Jesus comes along, and he tells them to do the Passover, the day before Passover begins. There's no lamb. They don't drink all four cups. He leaves before they even eat the meal. He gets down on his knees and starts washing their feet. He talks about dying and going places, and they're just like, what in the world is going on? Is this guy gone insane? They're so confused that Jesus even says, the guy that I hand this bread to first is going to betray me. And they hand it to, he hands it to Jews, and they're like, who's going to betray him? We don't know. This just shows you how confused they are. The reason is, is that he's the lamb. He's the lamb. There is no lamb because he's the lamb that year. And they do it the night before because he has to die on the 14th to fulfill all prophecy. The day after... Passover is unleavened bread. Now, why did Jesus die on the cross? For your sins. What are you immediately supposed to be doing the day after Jesus died on the cross? Cleansing yourself of your sins, repenting them. And so as you celebrate unleavened bread and kind of go through your life and clean the sin out of your life through repentance, you're only able to really truly do that because he has offered himself up as the once and for all sacrifice that truly takes away your sins. And so this was a week of removing sin from their life because Christ was on the cross, to literally removed sin from the world. What just happened to happen at the Sunday after Passover? He rose from the dead on the exact day of first fruits. Well, wait a minute. Isn't first fruits a celebration of going into the land? What did Jesus do when he rose from the dead? He provided a new life in the land in relationship with God. In fact, First Peter tells us that Christ was the first fruits from the grave. And we too now will follow in his resurrection. So we are now given a new life, a new land, that will allow us to ultimately enter the kingdom of God spiritually now and eventually physically when the kingdom of God comes back to earth. And that Christ's death, specifically resurrection, made this new life, this new land, this new kingdom entrance possible for you. And just as Israel entered the promised land, but did not immediately experience the kingdom of God, so we have kind of entered the promised land through the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, but we're not immediately reaping all the benefits yet. This is what's called already not yet. Does this make sense? And so Christ literally fulfilled. Now, anybody know what happened 50 days after Jesus died? died? Pentecost. And what happened in Pentecost? The Holy Spirit descended into all of them in little, in little tongues of fire. What happened at the original Feast of Weeks? A big giant thing of fire came down on Mount Sinai and God gave him the law. And then Joel said that a day will come when I will pour out my spirit on you. And Jeremiah 31, 31, talking about the exact same event, says that God will write his law on your heart. So what happens at Pentecost on the exact day that they were on Mount Sinai getting the law? Pillars of fire came down on their heads and God indwelt them and gave them the law and wrote the Holy Spirit on our hearts. Jesus literally fulfilled these four festivals on the exact days that they happened originally and they celebrate them on and took the meaning of the festival and took it way deeper and further than whatever ever had been. Does that make sense? And this is what makes them so cool. This and many other reasons. Now, here's a question, though. I had to deal with this because a lot of people throw this. We know that Sunday was first fruits because the Bible tells us that first fruits always happens on Sunday, period. And the Bible tells us that Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday. So this was his resurrection. When was Passover? When do we celebrate the death of Christ? Friday. Good Friday, right? So Friday must be the 14th of 9th because we don't know what days of the weeks were the dates at that time. We just have to figure it out going through deduction. So that must be the 14th because this is the day of Passover and this is the day of Jesus' death. And the reason we know that is we're told that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. And we know that Jesus died on the cross right before the... Sabbath, Because it said they had to get his body off the cross before the Sabbath because they couldn't touch the dead body or bury it on the Sabbath because that would be work. And we know according to the Jewish customs, God said in Genesis that a day was evening and morning. So according to the Jew, the Sabbath begins on Friday at sunset. That's the beginning of a new day and goes to sunset of Saturday. So he died, was put on the cross around noon. He died around 3, he hung there till 6, and they had to start getting his body off because somewhere around 6 was going to be sunset. Does that make sense? But does that actually work? According to the Bible, this is accurate, right? He, had to, he died before the Sabbath, and he was off the cross the day after the Sabbath. But Jesus also said, So as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so the man, son of man, will be in the grave for... Three days and three nights. Is that three days and three nights? So it's Jesus telling the truth. What do you believe? Do you believe Jesus in the Bible? Or do you believe what the Bible says about Jesus? Oh, that's a difficult one, right? Here's the problem. We're doing it wrong. So let's get rid of this. Let's go with Jesus. Let's just go with Jesus. So if we go with Jesus, we know first fruits happened on a Sunday. And that was a resurrection because the Bible made that very clear. So three days and three nights would mean that he died on a... Thursday. So this must be the 14th and that must be the 15th and 16th and 17th. And this must be the Passover and this must be his death. So you got Jesus Passover death on the 14th on a Thursday. He's in the great three days and three nights. He rises on the first fruits. But the problem is if this is the Sabbath on Saturday, is he being taken off the cross right before the Sabbath begins? no. So here's the problem. This is a lot of people come and they say, "See, your Bible's a contradiction, because your Bible tells you that He was dying on Friday and raising on Sunday, but your Bible also tells you that Jesus said three days and three nights, which means your Bible, what it says about it, and your Bible and what it says Jesus said, contradicts each other. Your Bible's wrong, and your religion's false, right?" that means you got to read that really, really, really boring, outdated book of Leviticus. Who wants to do that? Except for you guys. Leviticus tells us what happened the day after Passover. What was the day after Passover? Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was the festival that started the day after Passover. And if you read that paragraph there, God says... And the first day of unleavened bread shall be a high Sabbath. Which means that every single year during unleavened bread, there are two Sabbaths that week. There's the high Sabbath of the first day of unleavened bread. And there's the regular weekly Sabbath. Now, if Passover is on a Monday then that means that unleavened bread Sabbath is on a Tuesday, and then you have a couple of days where you can work, and the Sabbath comes again on Saturday. Mm -hmm. But if Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights, that means that Passover is on a Thursday. Which means, is it telling you the truth that Jesus had to be taken off the cross before this Sabbath began? Yes, because the next day on Friday was the high Sabbath of unleavened bread. And is the Bible correct when it said that the women could not go to the tomb until after the Sabbath was over with on Sunday? Yes. Because that year there were two Sabbaths right next to each other. In fact, some manuscripts actually say that the women arrived at the tomb on Sunday after the Sabbaths. And a lot of people thought that this must be a typo and got rid of it in the English translations because we don't read Leviticus. And so all these scholars are trying to do hoops like what was partial days and partial nights and that doesn't work. But if you just read Leviticus, Leviticus tells you this is how it works. And that way now the Bible and Jesus are both right. And Leviticus is the key. Does that make sense? This is how cool it is. He got this. Now here's the other thing you know. How many years does it take for Christians to come back and fall on the same day of the week that it did this year? six, five years. So is every single year before this and after this going to be three days between Passover and First Fruits? No, because one year it's going to be on Wednesday and that'll be four days. The next year it's going to be on a Friday. next year it's going to be on a Monday. And all throughout the Bible, the Bible's been hinting at the fact that the resurrection is going to be three days after the death. Which means not only did Jesus get himself crucified on these exact dates and raised from the grave on these exact dates... But he had to get himself crucified in the right decade, the right time of the decade. Because if he got crucified the year or two or three before that, it would have never been three days and three nights. If he got crucified a couple, two, three, four years after that, it would never been three days and three nights. Which means like once or twice every decade would be the right time that he could actually die to get this all to work. So we should be celebrating Good Thursday? Yeah. So why don't? So why are we stuck on Friday then? Tradition. that's really what it is. Years and years of Catholic tradition. Even in the Protestant church, we're all like, oh, those Catholics, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Now, I'll let you know that there are still a few little difficulties here, and some other people have other views and that kind of stuff, but most people tend to lean towards it because it works. It works so beautifully. But Christ is fulfilling this exactly the way that they've been celebrating it for years upon years by years and if you understand leviticus then you have an answer for the atheist is trying to throw that in your face now here's the thing you're now called god says that you're to celebrate these festivals forever now remember what have i been saying over and over again are we under the law no but did christ come to do away with the law No, he came to fulfill the law. Which means the question that I now ask is, how do I translate these through the new law that is in me called the Holy Spirit? Exactly what I just said. Do a Passover meal. Because now for the Passover, for us, it's two. It's the day that God first established us as our ancestors, Israel, and saved them from Egypt. I mean, even though we're not Israelites, and even though we were not rescued from Egypt, that's still a powerful God of story about God. But it's also the day that Christ died on the cross for us. So can we have a meal as a family? Do we have to sacrifice the lamb and all that kind of stuff? No, because Christ is our lamb. But do we do something on Thursday where we remember and celebrate that Christ died on the cross for us? And yet we kind of do that on, Chris, on Re- Easter Day, but God never meant you just do it on one day. I mean, technically, you're supposed to do it every day of the week, year. But do you take a time where you remember how Christ died for your sins? Then do you spend the next couple days, not just a one-time, let's just get together as a family and have a meal and say a few things about Christ, but that it actually is going to intentionally lead me into a time period of reflection, a time period of repentance asking Christ, is there anything in my life that I shouldn't have, that I want to surrender to you? Do we intentionally then celebrate first fruits? I mean, yes, we do Easter, but haven't we made Easter about getting Easter eggs and candy and hunting and all that kind of stuff, and it's not really about Jesus that much anymore? Yeah, we go to church and we hear a sermon and get our little palm branches, but most of the time we're together as a family, it's about our kids getting as much candy as they can get. Is it really about Christ? I mean, you've got your birthday. Notice how we've taken Christmas and Easter and made it about ourselves. <laughs> you've got your birthday. That's more than what you deserve. Give the rest of the holidays to God, since he's the one that died for you. So make Resurrection Sunday about resurrection. Remembering. Them. Then could you do something 50 days later? Or no, you are not. At, you don't have to go to some Mount Sinai or any kind of stuff. And you have no barley or wheat. But can you do something where you say, I'm going to celebrate the fact that I have the Holy Spirit. And we're going to acknowledge this as a family. And we're going to spend time doing this. Because the whole point of a Sabbath is to cease from what you normally do so that you intentionally rest with God and remember Him. Do you intentionally take time to rest from your normal work and life to actually intentionally reflect on what God has done on all these special events. He knows what we're like, and that's why he's wove them into the fabric of the universe and the calendar. Now, by the way, a lot of stars align on these certain things. So he actually built the universe to have stars that align on these certain days too, which means he's saying that there's something cosmic going on that you should remember and focus on. Do we do this as a family? Do you have to do it? Because you're under law and you're afraid of a curse. No. Do you have to do it in the same legalistic way that they had to? No. But should you say, I am so thankful, Christ, that you gave me life that I don't deserve and that I could have never gotten my own. The least I could do is just take four days out of my year and intentionally just completely dedicate them towards you and celebrating you and as a family remembering you. Yeah. And that way you are to do it forever. Not because you have to, not in the Levitical way, but in the, I've been saved by this God and I love him so much that I'm going to celebrate him in the Holy Spirit way. And the reason these dates are important is not because one day is more important than the other and that I should condemn you if you're accidentally doing it on Friday instead of Thursday. But the dates just help me remember that his prophecy was so perfectly timed and fulfilled. And there's a wowness to these dates too. There's a wowness to what he has done, but there's also a wowness to how perfectly all these dates work. And the reason I think the dates are important is not in a legalistic sense that one day is more important than the other, but it just helps me remember how perfectly timed this all was too. Does that make sense? Cause there is a beauty and a power and an awesomeness to these festivals and the way that He planned them all out. Those are the spring festivals. Um, Next week we'll get into the fall festivals and we'll finish the book of Leviticus. Yahweh, I just thank You for who You are. thank You for the amazing God that You are. You're a God that controls everything. You're sovereign over the calendar. You're sovereign over the stars. You're sovereign over our life. You're sovereign over history. And you're sovereign over all those things that have come to rob us of life. And you have given us life by conquering the grave. And I pray that we can come to an appreciation and a wow of all the many ways that you have orchestrated and designed the universe to function in the way that you want it to function in order to bring us deliverance, to bring us life, to bring us redemption, and to give us life to the fullest and our own land with you and the Holy Spirit and us and the land that we will one day receive when this world is made a good place again. And I thank you that you have woven this into our calendar, and I pray that you would give us the ability and the desire to remember you on these days that you assign so that we can establish a habit of remembering you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.